This morning we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. And my name is Joni and it's my privilege to read God's word for us this morning. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him, him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they gathered the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Thanks, Jenny. Um, Hi, everyone. My name's Jared. Uh, I've been given uh, the opportunity to preach this morning. I'm one of the elders here. Um, Preparing for a sermon is a lot of fun, but um, I've also found it it's really hard and humbling thing to do, and it's given me a great appreciation and thankfulness to those who preach for us here all the time, Pete and Andrew and others. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Um, I've been here for... um, Sorry, I'll just fix this up. I've been here for about eight years, and I come here with my wife, Jemima, and our three kids, Oscar, Max, and Sylvie. But I'm just here with Oscar today. Um, we have a bit of sickness in our house. Um, but if I haven't met you, um, feel free to come and say hi at morning tea. As a church, we've been working our way through Second Samuel. Um, over the last couple of weeks, um, Pete's preached, and we've seen how God has been working to establish David as king over Israel after Saul. David's a good king who trusts and honours God, who despises sin, a man after God's own heart. And under David, we've seen the kingdom of Israel united under a single kingdom. The north and the south have been in this long civil war 
and we saw how God has overcome great divisions to demonstrate his love for his people. Um, this week covers one and a half chapters, the second half of chapter five and chapter six, but we're going to spend all of our time just looking at that episode we read out, um, the middle section where David brings in the ark to Jerusalem and where this man Uzzah reaches out to touch the ark and God kills him, which is a really challenging and sobering passage and has made me feel really uncomfortable and afraid of God um, and unsure who God was. Um, it makes me, it makes God seem kind of cruel and strict and a bit capricious, um, a bit alienating and unattractive. But rather than try and ignore that um, and just skip over it, I want to focus in on this discomfort today. And what I hope we'll see is that God isn't cruel or strict, but that he is gracious and compassionate, that he wants to be close to us and it's good for us to be close to him. So a bit of a recap from last week. You might remember, as I said, that um, David was anointed king over all Israel and he captured Jerusalem and he moved his throne there, made Jerusalem his capital. And now in chapter 6, we see what one commentator has described as David's religious masterstroke, which, as well as bringing his throne to Jerusalem, he's also bringing the Ark of God there. The Ark of God um, was where God was present. Obviously, in one sense, God's everywhere, but at the Ark um, is where God chose to manifest himself to his people. We read in Exodus 25, when God gave Moses the instructions on how to build the Ark, God said, there I will meet with you. On the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you. And in a passage today, in verse 2, the Ark is described as the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. The ark was God's throne on earth. At the ark, in the tabernacle where it was supposed to be kept, was a heaven and earth coming together place. By bringing the ark to Jerusalem, David is also bringing the tabernacle and all of the associated stuff that goes with it, the sacrifices and the offerings and the atonement and the forgiveness that can be achieved through those. And so now in Jerusalem are concentrated all the promises of God concerning his relationship with his people as the king and the temple. So bringing the ark to Jerusalem, God's human ruling representative, God's king, David, and God's divine presence at the ark are brought together into the same space, which sounds a bit like Jesus, God's true perfect king in the same space, the same body, as the fullness of God's presence, heaven and earth coming together in Jesus. So in the big story of the Bible, this is a high point in the history of Israel. And it shows that David wanted to be close to God and he wanted God to be part of his rule and um, he wanted God to be among his people as king. And we can contrast this with Saul who didn't bring the ark into Jerusalem. He could have if he wanted to. And the ark had been at the place where David gets it from for something like 20 years since before Saul was king. And so bringing the ark into Jerusalem, being close to God, sounds like a good thing. And this was always God's plan to dwell with his people, to be close with his people. This was God's plan at the beginning in the garden when he walked with Adam and Eve. 
That is why God sent us his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's why God sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts, in our church, because he wants to be close to us. And this is God's plan for future eternity. God's goal for the whole of human history is for his people to be in his midst forever in heaven. And so, again, this is why he got them to make the tabernacle and the ark. It was God's idea, it was his plan, so that he could dwell in the midst of his people, so he could speak with them, so he could be close to them. But the passage we read this morning, it, um, it's a bit challenging to try and fit that into that overall narrative. Who's are dying, being killed by God, seems to call into question some of these things about Does God actually want to be close to his people? And is it actually good for us to be close to God? Let's read again from verse 6. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And that means breaking out against Uzzah. There's some parallel language here with the end of chapter 5, which we didn't read, um, that describes the Israelites' defeat of the Philistines in a couple of battles. David um, seeks guidance from God. Um, He's victorious and afterwards in verse 12, Uh, Chapter 5, verse 20, David says, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perizim. And that means Lord of breaking through. God breaks through his enemies, the Philistines, but then he breaks out against Uzzah, who is not his enemy, who is supposed to be his own people. And this same language is used uh, when God comes down onto Mount Sinai. He warns the people not to come too close. He says that the priests are to consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. That's in Exodus 19. And so it feels like at the heart of God's relationship with his people is this risk and this danger of death. And after witnessing Uzzah die, David felt this and he was afraid of God. Verse 9 says, And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Is it actually good for us to be close to God? So to help us answer that, let's um, have a closer look at the ark itself. Like we said, God was the one who came up with the idea of the ark and he gave a lot of instructions about it in the law. Physically, it was a timber box that was covered in gold where, and the tablets of the law um, that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai were, Sinai were kept inside it. And on the top were two angel statues and there were two poles on the sides to carry it by. And the Israelites were to treat the ark as this extremely sacred, holy object. It was to be kept in the very inner sanctum of the tabernacle, what was called the most holy place. And... Um, No one was allowed to go into that part of the temple apart from the high priest and he was only allowed to go in there once a year. 
And the Ark was only supposed to be carried um, when they were moving it between places, carried by people who were specially appointed from among the Levites. And they were only ever supposed to carry it by the poles on their shoulders. And they were never allowed to touch it. And they were never allowed to even see it. It was always covered in a shroud. And so God gave a lot of instructions about the Ark, about how to make it, what to put in it, where to keep it, who can see it and how they are to approach it, who can carry it and how they are to carry it. But we see in chapter 6 here that they weren't treating the, way, the Ark the way God had told them to. They weren't treating it as a sacred object. They were guilty of disobeying God's instructions by you know, carrying the Ark on a cart and by touching it. And so on one level, this explains why Uzzah died, because of his disobedience. There was these clear instructions about the ark that he didn't follow. But um, that doesn't really, I don't think, satisfies for us the discomfort we feel about God killing Uzzah. And it doesn't really answer the question about, is it actually good for us to come close to God? It seems like God makes all these rules that, um, for me, separated by thousands of years and different cultures, they seem quite weird and alienating. Um, God makes these rules and he's just waiting for someone to break them so he can punish them. It seems like these rules are a barrier between us and God that keep us from being close to him. The walls of the, te the temple separate us from God rather than bringing God close to us. And so we should ask, why did God need to give these rules? Why did God give us these instructions? Why is there this protocol about how to relate to him? Uh, there's a similar event to do with the ark, a very similar structure in 1 Samuel chapter 6. In this um, story, the ark had been captured by the Philistines and then it was returned to a place in Israel called Beth Shemesh. And when the people saw it, they rejoiced. And then in 1 Samuel 6, verse 19, it says, And he, as God, God struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messages to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. So they sent it to this other place, and that's where it stayed for 20 years until David got it. And so there's this similar situation where the people are not treating the ark in the way that God had instructed them to. They looked at the ark, and they weren't supposed to. And as a result of their sin, there is death. And the people cry out, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? As we keep going, um, I hope we'll see that God is good and that it's good for us to be close to him. But we'll also see that God is so good, that he's so holy, that it's dangerous for us to come close to him. God gave all the instructions about the ark and these people died because they didn't follow those instructions because God is holy. One way to think about God's holiness is to compare God to the sun. The sun is unique in our solar system. It shines bright. Um, it is powerful. 
It is life-giving. It's the reason why we can live on this planet, um, that we can flourish here, um, that we can see during the day. But it's also dangerous. If we will get to too close to the sun, we would be destroyed by it. God's holiness is central to who he is as a person. Um, in Leviticus 19, God says, I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Moses sang in Exodus 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? And when Isaiah um, had a vision of being in the throne room of God in Isaiah 6, the angels sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But what does it mean um, to say that God is holy? And holiness in the Bible has many different facets, but three words I'm going to use to talk about it this morning are um, good, sacred, and separate. God is holy because he is good, because he is sacred, because he is separate. I think we most often associate holiness with goodness, with moral purity. If you are good, then you are holy. And I think we often treat them as synonyms. When we say that God is holy, we often mean that God is morally pure, that God is good, that he's righteous. But holiness is also about sacredness. Um, the words holy and sacred are two English words that mean the same thing. Um, but um, holiness isn't just about being good. Um, I think if holiness was just about being good, that we might make the mistake that we could make ourselves holy by being moral and doing the right thing. But if we think about sacredness, we see that things and not just people can be holy. Um, objects or places or times like the ark or um, the temple or the Sabbath can be holy. When we consecrate something, so these are kind of other words that are used in the Bible, consecrate something or sanctify something, means that we're making something sacred. And when we desecrate something, we defile something that was sacred. In our culture, sacred things might include graves, war memorials, cultural artifacts, maybe marriages or dead bodies, like we can see here with the Queen's coffin, with these appointed men carrying this sacred timber box on their shoulders or living bodies, uh, the bodies of women, the bodies of children are sacred to us. And we as a society rightly get very angry when sacred things are defiled. If you've read or seen Harry Potter, you might, might remember how angry Helena Ravenclaw felt at the way that Voldemort had defiled the lost diadem of, um, with this evil dark magic, because this diadem was a sacred holy object. And we can relate to her anger. Thinking about sacredness, holiness as sacredness shows us that God's holiness is serious. Uh, we should treat God's holiness with the same seriousness we would if we had to carry the queen's coffin, but you know, infinitely more so. When we say that holiness um, means being separate or set apart, again, it's just another way to say the same thing, but Something is holy if it's been separated from common things. Um, in God's sense, in, um, for God, he's separate from everything else because he's God. God's existed for eternity, all-powerful, infinitely good, completely self-sufficient. He created everything. 
is the source and sustainer of life. God is God who sits on his eternal throne in heaven. But um, more specifically, because of his moral purity, his goodness. Is there a slide before that slide? Maybe it's been deleted, but um, God's also separate from evil and everything associated with death. Um, I think this is actually what we want. I think it's okay if you put up that. Yeah, yeah, this one. So God's separated from evil and death. And I think this is actually what we all want. Like everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, if you had to choose a side of the diagram to be on, you'd choose the side that was separated from evil and death, from all of the injustice and hurt and brokenness that comes with that. And I think all of our culture's ideals, um, like whether you're a Christian or not, about what's a good life, um, all of our hopes for a good future, a pure world, uh, a desire for the holiness of God. Because God's holiness is goodness and blessing and life. It's the total absence of evil and death. Holiness is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we long for this holiness because we are not separate from the injustice and hurt and brokenness of the world. We're not separate from evil and death, and we feel it all around us. We feel it, if we're honest, inside of us. And so because evil and death is in us and around us, and because God is holy, he's separated from us as well. We are not on the side of life. And so it's dangerous for us to come close to God because um, when God... Um, comes into when evil comes into the presence of God, it is uh, destroyed. God's life and goodness overcomes evil in death in the same way that light overcomes darkness. If you bring light into the, if you bring darkness into the light, it disappears. And so if we were to create some darkness in our hands now, we can do this all together and hold darkness in our hands and then bring that light, darkness into the light. The darkness is destroyed by the light. And so as we come into the presence of God in the face of his infinite holiness, our sin brings death. God's judgment on sin is not because he's bad. It is because he's so good. God is not strict or mean or capricious. He's holy. He is life. And evil and death cannot be in his presence. God is good and his presence brings life. But as sinners, it is not good for us to be close to God. And so coming back to the passage, we're in the same situation as Uzzah or as David. Uzzah came close to God and... He um, didn't approach him in the way that God had instructed, and he died. And David was afraid of God and sent the ark away. He ran away from God, thinking that distancing himself from God was um, a solution to his unholiness. And Adam and Eve have tried this, tried um, distancing themselves from God, running away from God. Um, after they sinned, they heard God coming close, and they hid from him. And then God asked where they were and when God asked and Adam said 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And I've tried running away from God as a way to deal with my own unholiness. Um, I think I can think of a time in my life when I was a teenager when I was completely overwhelmed with hurt and brokenness and sin in my life, and I couldn't see a solution for how to deal with it. And I thought the things I was doing that were being or, and being done to me were like the sexual brokenness and the drug and alcohol abuse and the pornography use. I thought all of these things were um, just men I couldn't come close to God were keeping me from God. And so I tried to distance myself from God as a way to deal with that. I tried to hide from him. But God's plan, the desire of his heart, is to be close to his people. God wants to be close to us. And what we see in chapter 6 as we keep going is that it's good to be close to God and that God's presence brings blessing. David didn't want to be near God, and so he sent the ark to this guy's house, um, Obed-Edom, in verse 10. It says, David took the ark um, aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. But rather than bringing death, he goes on to say that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. In verse 12, this is told to David, it says, the Lord says, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And so here we don't necessarily know why, but here we see the opposite of what happened with Uzzah. Here, God is near to Obed-Edom and graciously blessed him and his whole household and everything that he had. And this seemed to be what showed David that it was actually good and safe to be close to God and to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And so it says in verse 12, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, which is Jerusalem, with rejoicing. There's also a parallel account of this same event recorded in 1 Chronicles 15. And in that account, it also shows that um, David had come to realize that the ark needed to be treated in the way that God had instructed. He um, gets the Levitical priests to consecrate themselves and to carry the ark um, on their shoulders the way it was supposed to be carried. And so not only does David see that it's good to be close to God, that God's presence brings blessing like it did for Obed-Edom, but also that God has provided a way for his people to be consecrated, to be made holy. The Levitical ceremonial laws, all of the instructions that are weird to us, were not about keeping people from coming close to God, but it was the complete opposite. They were given by God so that people could come close to him. They were given as the way for the people to consecrate themselves, to ritually set themselves apart from the world of evil and death. They were the way that people could be made holy. Without the, war, the law, the washings and the sacrifices and the blood, people would not have been able to come close to God because they would not have been holy. We do not make ourselves holy. God has provided a way for us to be made holy, for us to be sanctified. For the ancient Israelites, the way that God gave them to be holy was through the ceremonial law. The Bible says that these things were looking forward 
or foreshadowing their true reality as manifested in Jesus Christ. And so for us, the way God has given for us to be consecrated is through Jesus. Jesus, the human incarnation of God himself, who offered his body as a perfect sacrifice, taking our sins onto himself so that we can be washed clean of the evil and death that clings to us, so that we can be made holy and enter into the presence of God, so that we can be close to God. Jesus became unholy, defiled, desecrated, so that we might become sanctified, sacred, good, separate. And if we can get up the next diagram, we can see that Jesus is the heaven and earth coming together place. Jesus is in the middle of the overlap there. And as he took on our evil and came into the presence of God on the cross, he was destroyed. And as he was raised to life, entered into the presence and the blessing of God, the most holy place, through faith in him, we can enter into that same place and receive life and blessing. God's not like an angry father um, standing at the door of his house with his arms crossed, stopping us from coming inside until we've washed ourselves clean, until we've made ourselves holy, preventing us from being in fellowship with him. And maybe that's something you're feeling right now. Are you feeling like you need to distance yourself from God because of your sin, because of your unholiness? And you have to make yourself clean before you can come close to him. But we don't make ourselves holy. The God I experienced when I became a Christian was like the father in the prodigal son who um, runs down the road, he's gracious and compassionate, runs to embrace his son, put a robe on him, invite him inside to a feast, to be in fellowship with him and to celebrate um, the return of his lost child. And God makes us holy because he wants to be close to us, because he loves us. In 2 Samuel, we see David leaping and dancing with all his might before the Lord, rejoicing and worshipping in response to God's overwhelming grace to him, as we all should when, when this happens to us. And this is something that I have felt in my life, and I know intellectually that this is the right response here, but... Um, to be honest, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've actually really struggled to follow David in this joyful worship. I've been sick and busy and stressed, and um, I know in my heart that this is how I should be feeling, but the reality of my experience doesn't match this sort of jubilant high point of David's um, celebration. And so I've been praying to God along with David in Psalm 51, for God to restore to me the joy of our salvation. That's my prayer for all of you, that we could feel that and realise the extent that God has saved us from this sin and death, this evil, um, so that we can be blessed and we can be with him, be in his house. And even though I can see God's holiness as good and life-giving, it's not something to, that is alienating or to be afraid of. Um, God's holiness is life. I can still feel the pull of um, my own kind of unfaithful heart pulling me back into the pigsty that I lived in before God brought me home. And so it's been helpful for me to realise even more that in the state of kind of my tiredness and my weakness, 
I don't make myself holy, and that's not a condition of me coming into fellowship with God, that he makes me holy. God is good. It's good to be in his presence. He wants to be close to us. And so he has provided a way for us to be made holy through Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not run from God, but come close to him and be holy because he is holy. There's um, so much we can apply to our lives out of this that I just haven't left myself enough time to talk about. But you guys have lots of time to talk about it over morning tea. And so um, to finish, I encourage you to do that. Um, but let's pray together. Oh God, help us to understand uh, through your spirit just the infinite scope and depth of your holiness, just how good and pure and sacred and separate from evil and death you are. Um, help us to take your holiness seriously, uh, that we don't um, approach you lightly or in ways that you haven't uh, made for us, but that in repentance and faith we come to you through Christ and the work that he's done for us on the cross. Thank you um, that you've provided that way so that we can be in fellowship with you. And I just ask that as we fellowship with one another in our church, we would treat our church as sacred, a dwelling place of your spirit, that we would treat our bodies as holy and sacred as well, dwelling place for your spirit, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.